We found the market that there was no players in that we helped establish. We positioned ourselves in a great position there. Leaders in many aspects of that globally had a product that people wanted to buy globally and one of the main markets for that was the States. Hi, I'm Kim. And I'm Murray. And this is Scotland's Secret Space Race. How are you doing, Kim? I'm, I've got mixed feelings. It's a corona coaster. We've come to the end of the series, but my goodness, have we packed a lot in. We have. We've covered an enormous amount, haven't we? We started off with the Edinburgh Space Data Capital and then went out across Scotland and learned about the huge number of things that are going on from building satellites through to these new spaceports, which are popping up across the country. So it's been a brilliant time. Have you enjoyed it? I have. And you know, it's been really nice to focus on something so positive and something that's growing because yeah. it's been tough times for everybody. I don't think anyone's had an easy ride of it these past few months. So hopefully we've brought a little bit of positivity into people's ears. Well, yeah. I mean, if you read any newspaper headlines at the moment, people are saying, you know, the, the six months that shook the world. And I guess there are fundamental changes still going on. But what's been fantastic, I, I would say in particular in these last few episodes, has been the astonishing spirit of positive attitude. Uh, that's that's been wonderful to hear and everybody seems to be going great guns i think i I guess people who are aiming to fire things up into space have to be optimists by definition right (laughs) yeah exactly you have to believe in the impossible so who have we got today murray to finish off the series in style we have got who you call the grandfather of scottish space but he's only in his mid-40s i didn't (laughs) i didn't call him that We, I called, said the I godfather, God, that's different. The, the godfather, the godfather of uh, Scottish space, Craig Clark, who uh, created Clyde Space and um, really has set the Scottish space industry, I think, in, in motion. It's the company which is most well known for its uh, development of, of satellites here. So uh, another real coup to get on the podcast and another brilliant person to interview. He had tons of fascinating insights into the space industry, but also I really enjoyed his perspectives on uh, creating a small company. That was that was very, very interesting. Yeah, me too. It was so fun speaking to him. And he's, again, such a down-to-earth, humble guy, really easy to chat to. And then he starts to throw in the things that he's working on and you think, wow, you're you're actually quite important. and quite. It's, we're very lucky to have some time with you, basically. Yeah, he turned up on the call fresh from a uh, workout, didn't he? And... Um... <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, yeah, he's obviously going going uh, flat out still. So as the godfather of Scottish space, the first thing I had to ask him was, in 2005, when he started Clyde Space, what were his goals? Well, there's a lot of different things that happened to cause me to go and start Clyde Space. I was working, I went to Glasgow Uni and done a degree in electronics there. This was in 1994, and there weren't really many jobs around in Scotland at that point. Got a few interviews, got rejected from most of them, apart from one, and that was for a space company in Surrey. Um, then just was working in a small business as it was growing down in Surrey. It was a spin-out from uni. So, I mean, it was a great place to work, because I learned a lot about satellites, and I hadn't studied anything to do with satellites before, so it was just really, really interesting, really stimulating environment. Um, and actually, my, my then girlfriend at the time came down with me to, to live in England and we got married. And, and uh, after about 10 years, we started a family. And we thought we, bought, we both wanted to move back to Scotland, to Glasgow, so we're both from here. 
I looked at Scotland and I thought, well, there's no jobs in the space industry in Scotland. In fact, there isn't really a space industry in Scotland. I never really thought of it before. And just kind of thought that that was a tragedy, really. We were selling our house in Surrey and we thought, well, why don't we just use some of that money and from selling our house and we'll start our own company. Like I, I was 30 at the time and there's a lot of ignorance involved in that decision and, you know, you know, really didn't really understand the gravity of the decision. And we started out trying to sell subsystems for small satellites. The other factor was, I mean, I thought there was a good market there. I thought small satellites was a, had a woes of potential. I thought it was going to be growing. I didn't think there were enough players in the market to really service that. I didn't know about CubeSats when I started the company. It took me two weeks to discover CubeSats after starting. So that kind of changed my business plan a bit. The first couple of years were quite fun. Once you start getting projects and like customers and staff, then the prospect of running out of cash kind of hits home at that point because then every business has to manage its cash flow and you know make money. You know, unlike a lot of the companies these days, where they'll go out and they'll raise you know a few million dollars. I had friends and family had invested, so it was like you know a few tens of thousands. So we didn't have like tons of cash in the bank. It was really we had to make money to survive, which I kind of think these days when I see the amount of money that startups spend on other people's money, um, I, it really is a quite alien concept to me. I think so too. I think when you've got that hunger for sales, it makes you a much more efficient company, doesn't it? And you're not answering to anyone either. If you've got investors, suddenly the decisions you make aren't necessarily entirely your own. That's right, yeah. Showing the ability to make money is a very important factor, even if you did decide to go and get finance from somewhere, because revenue-generating companies are far more attractive. And the growth is incredible. I mean, you, you speak very modestly about just starting it to give yourselves that opportunity to live in, in Scotland, but... Actually, you've hit on something obviously amazing. And when the growth, when you moved into the States, I mean, did that take you by surprise or did you kind of suspect that was the market? I don't know. I mean, I really, my philosophy about growth is, I mean, you have to plan to grow. Every business needs to plan to grow. If if you plan to not grow, then you're just going to get smaller. I had some great advice at the start of the business as well. And, you know, unlike most space companies, we based our, our strategy on product rather than service. So we developed products that we wanted to sell multiples of. And the, the, Scot- the Scottish Enterprise people there that had kind of coached me on that. And a lot of the grants that we got were really centred around productization and standardisation, which we're still trying to do these days, even with full satellites, because we see that as a way to make money. It's really difficult to make money on a service contract, which is essentially if somebody comes along and says, can I buy a satellite and it needs to look like this? And you're redesigning a satellite and you've got to estimate how much that's going to cost you to do, which is never accurate. And, you know, most that's why most space projects overrun. But if you have a standard product and you say, well, you can buy this standard product for $20,000 and that's how much it costs, then you know the amount of labour, the amount of materials that they cost, you know how much money you're going to make. So that's what we focused on. And, and again, this, this basically comes down to how we managed to grow. So we found a market that there was no players in that we helped establish. We positioned ourselves in a great position there. Um, leaders in many aspects of that globally had a product that people wanted to buy globally. And one of the main markets for that was the States. And we started selling to most of the universities. We sold to pretty much every NASA center, sold to pretty much every DOD organization you could think of, including the they, they, um, we sold some products to South Africa, Malaysia, Japan, and the US. 
it took us about two to three years to sell within anything in the UK. Really? So, yeah. I mean, the UK has been a, one of the toughest markets for us. Universities don't have as much money as the ones in the, in the States or other places in the world. And the, the government is really kind of stuck in its ways about how it approaches space. You know, the government likes to, you know, if there's, they need advice in space to go to Airbus, and Airbus will tell them they need an Airbus product. So it really stifles innovation. That's kind of where we, the, the industry, I think, finds itself just now, kind of struggling to kind of break the chains of this kind of traditional approach to space and try something new. The difference with the US is they still have the Airbuses of the world, the Lockheeds and the Boeings. They've got so much money that the, the crumbs off the table are tens of millions of dollars, you know. So companies like us in the States like do really well out of contracts with the, with the government agencies. Do you love what you do? Um, yeah, I mean, I've had a great, I've had a great time. I have to say, I've had, I've had some really a roller coaster ride with Clyde Space. It's been, we've had some really tough periods. I could talk all day about the different stories. Please do. We've had. You know, well, I mean, I don't want to scare people off of <laughs> starting a company. We need the truth. We need to know how hard it is. Well, I mean, like I've been at points. I mean, this has been back a few years. I've been at points where you know we're close to getting into administration and. We were working on our first satellite, UCube One, which is Scotland's first satellite, and it was we had over half the company working in R and D with practically no money. It was really difficult, and but we managed to manage them to get through it. And it was just one point, we just thought we can't. We, we just had a cash flow we couldn't dig out of. I mean, I won't, I won't mention which agency it is, but you can probably guess just in case. But I went to the funder of the, the project and said, "Look, I need I need a hundred thousand pounds. Otherwise, I actually said I need a hundred fifty thousand pounds. Otherwise, that's it." And they gave me £100,000 as part of the project, and that basically saved the company. You know, after that didn't happen, wow. we would have been screwed. Um, <laughs> but I mean, this is a story. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like you said about making money in a company, if you look at your P&L on a monthly basis when you're running a business, and you can think, well, if I can make £1,000 profit, now it sounds, it might sound like kind of not a lot of money, but the difference between making a profit and making a loss in a business is a massive thing. So if you can make a thousand pounds profit in a month and you're going to go on a trip to the States for a conference and you're going to send four people or you're going to send three people, cost five thousand pounds more to send an extra person than you you send three people. I think this is why Scottish entrepreneurs are so good because we've got our feet firmly on the floor, don't we? We don't get carried away with any of this. <laughs> well, <stuff. you> have <laughs> to. We wanted to one of our kind of romantic notions were to build like the Clyde used to build a third of the world's ships and we wanted to build a third of the world's spaceships in the Clyde. You're pretty close, aren't you? <laughs> I think we're getting there, yeah. yeah. And it's not just, obviously it's not just Clyde space, but, you know, I think we've simulated a, a, an ecosystem. You know, we've got like this organic sort of hub for small satellites in, in Glasgow especially. And, you know, I think I would love to see that grow more. Well, Murray's got some more technical questions about satellites. He's the scientist, not me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was curious about that point that you made around, uh, you know, going to Airbus and ending up getting an Airbus recommended uh, product. And so now, at least in Scotland, there's this notion of agile space and people getting really excited about small sats and their possibilities. I was curious to know what are the limits? Well, I mean, there's a huge debate going on about, oh, well, what's the sweet spot for the size of satellite? When my, my ex-boss from Surrey Satellite Technology jokingly said it was 42, because that's the answer to the meaning of life. But, I mean, I've always, my opinion of 
of it is, I mean, I've seen a lot of our competitors start with CubeSats and start to get bigger and start to do 100 kilograms athletes. But if you look at the, the capability of a CubeSat, so most CubeSats are three U CubeSats and they're about four kilograms. So if you look at the capability over the last 10 years of that, that size, it's increased massively, mm. right? And I and from the point of view, like if you take it, for example, some of our missions that we've worked on, when it's just about to launch on Vega, and next month, it's the launch has been delayed with Picasso. We started working that over five years ago. And it's got a downlink, an S-band downlink, which is two megabits per second. And that was state-of-the-art at the time. We then done a mission about two years ago for Kepler in, in Canada. And their payload on the same size as a satellite does 300 megabits per second up and down. And then we've got NSLcom, who's, they've got a six-year CubeSat. And they were talking about one to two gigabits per second. So huge increases in capability in that that area and also other areas like power generation, battery storage, all sorts of aspects of pointing of the satellite. So if you if you extrapolate that into the next ten years, then that same class of satellite is going to be able to do even more. All the challenges that come with a very small satellite, one of the main ones are, are thermal dissipation. So if you're if you've got hundred watts and a payload that's dissipating that, where does all that heat go? because you've got a four kilogram block of mostly aluminium and some other materials. So it's really difficult to get rid of that. So that's the, one of the, the big challenges there. You know, there's another good reason to have very small satellites and that is orbital debris. So if you've got like a Starlink satellite, which is well over hundred kilograms, fairly sizable, you know, the, the chance of that colliding with another object in space is much higher, like significantly higher. Orders of magnitude higher than a 3U CubeSat, which is much smaller and less likely to hit something. Right, okay. Well, this is going to be a, a follow-up question. What, what do you think are the solutions to, to that? And are you actually implementing them in any of your satellites? Well, the trouble with deorbit systems are they rely on the satellite to be alive. And one of the biggest okay. pieces of space junk is Endysat. <laughs> um, it's huge, size of a bus, and the... The people who were running the mission decided that they were going to extend its life by about 12 months. After six months of this life extension, it died. And now they're having to figure out how to bring it back down. So they can't, you can't manoeuvre it, you can't re-enter it. So that's, it's a, that's, so that's an example of the kind of problem you're faced with if your satellite's not working, even if it does have a deorbit system on it. Right. And also things like solar sails just increase collision risk because they're so big. Our, our space agency in the UK is has the right approach as far as I'm concerned and maybe some people in the UK would disagree with me but I believe that what they do they're very strict about licensing they are very strict about deorbiting as well so if there was somebody had done an experiment with a solar sail it was a UK uh, mission and they didn't actually calculate what their, their trajectory um, for deorbit was going to be and they passed through some very crowded um, orbits it could have easily caused a collision you know, it's, so it's not just about the launch, it's about the deorbit. You know, you need to be very careful about, you know, when you're coming back down, how long it takes, what, what orbits you're passing through. So it can be a complex problem. The easiest way to solve this, and again, this is what the UK Space Agency say, is for small satellites, you need to launch into orbits that are low enough that you will deorbit within a certain kind of fixed time frame. And that's usually based on the orbits that they recommend, which is less than 600 kilometres should be you know, less than 10 years. Okay, so and, it's, it's baked into the orbit that you're going to burn up yeah. at some point. Yeah. And also, the, because CubeSats are so light, 
they they de orbit a lot faster, so they don't have carries so much momentum in their own orbit. Okay. Not all governments have the same approach. Other governments that don't even have any kind of space policy, we can go and you could get a license to launch a quadrillion satellites into an orbit and then cause nobody to be able to use space again. So it needs to be a joined up approach, an international approach. With Starlink, all those satellites, is that really sensible to do? I'm not so sure. You know, I do worry about that. Are we going to basically make space not usable in the future if more people do that? You know, I, I also have, I'm very skeptical about the success of these missions, but trying to have a ubiquitous service is extremely difficult. So go from zero to being the main provider for high-speed internet access from space, when that actually doesn't exist. And it's a completely new market, really, if you think about it. Um, I, I don't see it happening. Most people, I mean, I've just had 900 megabits per second put into my house for an extra 15 quid. <laughs> <laughs> it gives you a bit I of mean, perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, most people live in a city where you can get that, you know. So um, I'm a believer that, you know, space at the moment should be used for more specific applications. And there are loads of mm. them that we can service with constellations of maybe 10 to 100 satellites. And okay. it's a much more sustainable use of space. Well, I think 5G is a really interesting one, so connecting everything and by various means. I think space is a great way to make up that extra few percent that ground systems just can't cover. I think um, Earth observation for monitoring things like climate change and just improving our understanding of what's happening on the planet for weather and systems and storms. We work with some great cust customers like Orbital Microsystems who have this like a passive microwave radiometer which you can basically tell where the worst bits of the storms are and where it's moving so what, if it's a hurricane where will it hit and that can be great information um, so the information we don't have right now and they, so they're able to up, update information every 15 minutes I think right yeah, because they've got that the uh, yeah so once they've done that and also they're based in, they've got a base in Scotland as well mm -hmm. um, so once they've done in, that in no less than the base centre <laughs> Yeah. All right, don't <laughs> plug it, Murray. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I love space. And I, I, one of my fantasies is that we do a mission, a CubeSat mission to Europa and, like, study wow. that. But is there going to be any money in that? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, so as a businessman, I look at those projects and think, well, there's never going to be any money made from that and it really needs a government to pay for the whole thing. And I don't really see something like that happening uh, for quite a long time because... Most science missions are run by big agencies and big agencies like big satellites. But when it does happen, you're on call ready. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll be ready to go. <laughs> Would you go to Mars? Are you into space, uh, human space flight at all? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I like that. I've got, I've got loads of respect for people that go into space, met some fantastic astronauts. Basically, if you go to see a launch, you're told to stand two miles away, and there's a reason for that. So why would <laughs> you want to be strapped to the top of it? You know? <laughs> see, this is my attitude. Murray's the absolute opposite. Murray's like, strap me in, send me to the moon. I'm quite happy. I'm like, no, nah, I'm just trying here. to instill in you the, the spirit of adventure, Kim. But yeah, I, I'm I not, get my I'm adventures elsewhere. Don't need to go. Don't need to send me into orbit. Thanks. Robotic space is the future. <laughs> well, we, we, spoke to, we spoke to Bonnie Dunbar, NASA um, astronaut, right at the beginning of this series. And um, so I, I asked her that, actually. I said, is it not 
know, more realistic that we've got robots going into space enabled with next generation AI. And uh, what did she say? She said, man does not live by bread alone. That was her response. So you need to have that human aspect of exploration to make it exploration. But maybe it's, it's somewhere between the two. You know, I watch, I watch and read a lot of sci-fi and it's something that got me through lots of, it stimulated a lot of ideas, just like, taking your mind away to some other place and, you know, Ian M. Banks and Alistair Reynolds and Stephen Baxter, I mean, some great, great novelists out there that have some fantastic ideas and most of these books, you know, have people living all over the galaxy and I'm not opposed to the concept, I just don't, I, I just think we evolved on Earth to be on Earth and if somebody wants to go and live in a cave in Mars, um, uh, it's really up to them. You know? <laughs> But talking about inspiration, that, that's a good point, actually. So you, you read a lot, you get a lot of inspiration. And I'm sure you know that you've been an inspiration in the sector to, to many people and, and continue to be, not least the next generation of students uh, coming through. So at the University of Edinburgh, have got um, a lot of students who, who come along with ideas to launch missions. But if you were, if you were a student now, what, what area of the space industry would you, would you focus on? Well, I was, I'm involved in a few like advisory boards and things like that now which I quite enjoy um including the science center in glasgow which is an amazing place and um, does a lot of great things for stem and, and encouraging kids to to look at you know a career in, in technology um, and space being a big part of that i think and it will be more in the future with everything that's happening in scotland uh, i'm also on the seraphim advisory board which is a vc fund for space in london and I'm doing this, I'm on a jury for a panel for a startup competition in Paris later this year. And looking at the number of companies that are starting in the various sectors, overwhelmingly the number of companies that are starting on applications is like, I'd say about 10 times greater than the other ones, um, which I think is really encouraging because that's ultimately where we need to be. You know, we, if everyone was building satellites and the way that that manufacturing of spacecraft is going to go it's going to be a very automated process you know there will be opportunities there and certainly you know we are we have skill shortages at the moment we'd love to fill in terms of where the economy is going to need most people is going to be in the application side and you know the use of space i, I would i would recommend most people and i recommend my kids as well my kids are well, my daughter's going to is doing her started her higher year although obviously from home at the moment um, and my son's doing like about to start his nationals and uh, I advise them to keep a broad range of subjects and you know it's you don't really know what where you could end up in space like most other sectors needs such a broad range of people in, in different areas I've done electronics software is a big thing embedded software control there's not enough people that know how to control the attitude of a satellite, the pointing. You know, it's a complex area. If you love playing with MATLAB and doing algorithms and try solve problems that are unsolvable, then I would recommend, you mean, do math or something like that and control systems at uni and you know, you'll be snapped up if you've got a bit of practical experience with that because there's loads of, you know, there's loads of opportunities there. And how did things change for you when you merged? Because you merged a couple of years ago with um, with the Swedish company. Did that change things in a big way for you? What were the benefits? Well, I mean, the, the biggest, it was 
definitely a big change for me because I was the CEO and now I'm not the CEO. Mm. Um, which, you know, I think I definitely needed. Um, you know, so 14 years of growing a company from scratch is quite an intense thing to do. And, you know, I've got kind of the ideal job now where I'm just supporting from a kind of strategic point of view um, and getting involved in you know, the things I was mentioning, the advisory boards, I'm on a few government kind of advisory boards as well in the UK, so in London and Scotland. So I quite enjoy all of that and it's really challenging me to do that. So, I mean, for the company, it's meant easier access to capital so we can invest more in development work and we've just got a great team. The guy that's the CEO now is a, a guy I used to, I actually done my master's degree with when I was in Surrey. Wow. So I worked with him and um, he's Portuguese, uh, Luis Gomez. And, you know, he's basically, he's brought up in the same, you know, career family as I was. I really get it and he's doing a great job. So it's, uh, you know, it's all good times for me. <laughs> Sounds like a great just enjoy way. myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the one thing that Murray and I have explored throughout the entire series is why do people not know about Scotland's space industry? Have you got any idea? Well, you know, try, take take yourself 15 years ago. So in 2005, <laughs> when I was in a taxi in Glasgow and the taxi drivers were, so what is it you do? I says, well, I would usually start off a conversation because you kind of get a bit tired of explaining it. He says, well, I'm an engineer. I said, what kind of engineer? Oh, well, actually, I work in satellites. Oh, satellites. Oh, satellite. you end up when it's like long conversations with satellites. Actually, what company you work for, and you explain you work for a company in Glasgow. We don't do that here. Oh, we don't do that here. <laughs> um, you're like, you know, it's just like, and that happened. It was like that for a few years. And then all of a sudden, I mean, you'd be surprised. Like, um, like I think most taxi drivers know about Clay Space and the companies that are in Glasgow. So there's, there's less people saying we don't do that here. In fact, I've not heard that for quite a long time. That's good. Um, people are aware of it. They're aware of space. And certainly the government's aware of space. The Scottish government's a huge supporter of space. And, you know, I'm like, if you ever listen to any minister talk about innovation, they always talk about the fact that Glasgow builds more satellites than any other city in Europe. Or, you know, they always talk about that, and that's fantastic. It's part of the script. So <laughs> it's good to get the message home um, and drive that home at every opportunity. And, and maybe we could do better. I think we could do better at, at getting the word out there. I don't think there's one particular thing we could do. We just need to all, as a sector, keep talking about it. And I really appreciate you guys doing this. And if that helps get the word out even more, it's great. Because there are great opportunities for, for our young people to go in and get a career in space, you know, there's going to be a lot more companies coming to Scotland to do what they need to do. And um, here, we're going to have launched from Scotland, we're going to have more satellites getting built, different sizes of satellites, I think, in future as well, bigger ones, and more applications. So we've got the whole, the whole shebang here on our doorstep. Great universities as well, doing a lot of research in our sector, in Glasgow and in Edinburgh. So I think that, you know, the sky is not the limit. You know, we can we can certainly keep growing. This is just this is the what did they say? The end of the beginning. It's been a, a pretty impressive beginning. What one thing would you like to see happen to make the uh, the next phase a bit more dramatic? There's something that is happening, and that is the launch. Once we actually launch into orbit from Scotland, that is going to be huge. I think that should get a lot of coverage, and we need as many Scottish companies involved in that as possible, you know, because it is from Scotland. 
we're working hard to, to make that happen for us so that everyone needs to be doing the same. But the most important thing, and this is something that I'm working with John Innes at the Scottish Space Leadership Council and, and also Scottish Enterprise, is to get better understanding within the VC community in Scotland and in the private equity community about space and the opportunities with space. It will encourage more companies to start here. It will give them better funded and better supported so that we can grow even more businesses here. The great thing that we have in Scotland is the fact that there is an absence of an incumbent huge company that dictates the policy that we have. We, have, we are all small businesses with high growth ambition and we've got the opportunity to carve out whatever future we want you know, and take advantage of the market opportunities that are presented in front of us. And we should just go up, get on and do that. Well, that was fantastic and it's been brilliant to get Craig on the show. And when we started this idea of putting a podcast together, of course, he was the first name that everybody suggested as a as a guest. So it's fantastic to hear from him. Yeah, and such a nice guy, so down to earth, so approachable and clearly very involved in all sorts of ways to influence the sector as it goes forward. I mean, we're going to have launch capacity in a couple of years, as we heard in last week's podcast, which you were sadly absent from, Murray. But <laughs> how, how, how sadly you opened it with Murray grudgingly admitting Christina would be better. <laughs> you were pretty grudging about it. You've got I wasn't admit. at all. I wasn't at all. I was. I, I, I think it was my idea that Christina should come on with uh, with with Peter and um, and with Craig. It's amazing that you get people who are running companies and they're you know running around doing enormous amounts of work. And as Craig pointed out, you're often like uh, treading really a, a tightrope trying to keep a company afloat and pay salaries and uh, keep afloat yourself, and yet. Uh, they're both very passionate about supporting the space industry here and, and what's going on. They took you know hour out of a busy schedule to do this podcast. And I, I love people's attitudes in this sector. And that's one of the reasons I love working in it is people are just so optimistic and, and helpful. Yeah, collaboration really is key in this industry. It's something I've noticed over the past couple of years is mm. there's there's not competition where you think there might be competition, which is always interesting. Yeah, and it, well, I guess that's what um, David Alexander was saying as well, is that, you know, you've got different parts of the space puzzle uh, around the world and so cooperating together you've got a much bigger opportunity to make something big and exciting happen absolutely and we've got some plans of our own well uh we are going to have a stint on radio four so if you're listening into this first of all thank you very much for, for listening uh so far we're gonna have a couple of sections on, on radio four aren't we kim yes and we can't say too much about it at this stage but it's a bit of a dream come true for me to be broadcasting in radio four but we are talking about scottish space which is always our goal right it is always the goal and the fact that they're picking up on this really uh, really shows how, how novel it still is to people to hear about Scottish space, which I find quite funny, but I've you know been in this area for a number of years, so I don't find it surprising. But uh, obviously people are getting excited by what's happening here. When it's out, we will, we will advertise it, but that's our, our next step. So we have some plans to not just do audio, but do film as well. Yeah, and that's, that's going to be a whole new dimension. I'm really, really excited at the prospect of doing that. So I, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been uh, in, involved in this podcast, and so not least the guests, so people who've taken their time, to the Data Driven Innovation Programme who funded this. So thank you to the, to the team there. 
so that's um, also the the team at the the base centre, and of course, School of Geosciences, where I'm uh, normally to be found. And a massive thank you to you, Kim. It's been fantastic to work with you. Um, oh, I, I love the way that you're uh, endlessly enthusiastic about this topic and uh you've you've done a great job in producing the podcast series and uh, and I've, I've i've massively enjoyed it so thank you me too it's been really good fun and i'm excited that we've got bigger plans as well the podcast has been so good and it's it's time yeah. to move up a gear isn't it we would love you to stay in touch if you're interested in the scottish space race please keep in touch with murray and i there's loads going on and we want to keep telling your stories murray's on twitter at murray b collins and i'm also on twitter at kim McAllister. Thanks for listening.